Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission, The Tales of Sage and Savant. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. If you want to learn more of the stories of Sage and Savant and the reasons why I record these broadcasts, you can pick up our book, Transmigrations, available on our website and everywhere books are sold. This month's program, entitled Bright Spots in Dark Times, is sponsored by ChickTech.org and features the music of This Way to the Egress. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our doctor, she was spiraling into darkness, finally putting an end to the life of James Cunningham, and then preparing to remove his brain and hide all evidence of this from her closest friends. The science she proposed was sound, the methods for carrying it out were not. Was there some chemical marker in the brain that could explain why she had been trapped in Cunningham's body? Could existing medical science provide an explanation for why, after so many months of safe transmigration, she was once again sporting a body tattooed by Lichtenberg figures? Sage was determined to find out. Steady, old girl. And once we check on Petra... Oh! Petra! You're back! Welcome back, Doctor! What happened? Oh, you're burned, Petra, your hair. Oh, my darling girl, are you all right? Why didn't you send for me? I'm all right. There's no need to fuss. There was a shorted wire in the system, and it attempted to establish an outgoing link concurrently with my incoming consciousness. Luckily, I was able to reach the console and power down before any real damage was done. Real damage? Look at your poor skin. You're burned all the way to your arms. How could that have happened? You were in your Faraday uh, Erasmus, armor. Erasmus, stop fussing. You know as well as I that Faraday armor is a shield, but it is always possible that things might slip beneath it. In this case, there was simply an electrical overload. You couldn't have stopped it were you here, and in fact, might have been hurt. So I, for one, am glad I was alone. <gasps> Are the creatures okay? Yes, dear. The electrical event was confined to the transmigration dais. No animals were harmed in the making of my scars. I'm also concerned about the equipment. And of course you. Really, I'm fine. Experience tells me that the scars will fade and the hair will grow back. But 
There was one other casualty, I'm afraid. The overload on the system tripped the main breakers, and I was insensible for some minutes. By the time I awakened and began to assess the damage, it was too late. Too late for what? For Mix Cunningham. He's been teetering close to death for some time now, and I fear the loss of low-level electrical stimulation I had rigged for his heart led to myocardial infarction. Mex Cunningham is dead. Really dead. Well, his body has passed on, yes. I cannot say whether he lives on in Amsterdam. Oh, he looks so old. Paradoxically, death ages one. No, I mean, this body looks old and vacant. Your bodies do not look like this when you transmigrate. Your consciousness is not present, but your body looks like it is sleeping. This, I... I think what Abigail is skirting around is the fact that James Cunningham is most likely dead in this time. And in all others. Oh! Silly, you are both leaping to conclusions that are not borne out by science. The reason for the difference in appearance between our bodies and this one will be the simple fact that whilst we are transmigrating, our hearts are continuing to beat. The blood moves through our veins, our nerves are continuing to transmit signal to our brains, and the autonomic systems are in full working order. There is absolutely no way to determine if James lives on in the past by looking at his body here in the present. Honestly, you cannot be scientists if you allow your imagination to overrule your intellect. You are correct, of course, Dr. Sage. <laughs> Shall we suit up then to check on him? I'm afraid it will not be that easy. I refuse to trust the system until I've done a complete overhaul and refitting to check for worn parts. I must be sure that no such accident will befall us again. Besides, Abigail, you have your studies. A little break from transmigrating will allow you to catch up with your fellows. And Erasmus, you know that you wanted to travel on to Frankfurt after the conference in Hamburg. There's no reason you should not take advantage of these opportunities to advance your own methods in cultural anthropology. But that would mean I, I wouldn't return until just before Christmas. Yes, and Abigail would be ending the term, and we would all be free to contemplate a transmigration for the holidays. Wouldn't that be fine? It does seem like an effective plan, but are you sure you don't want any help with the equipment? Really, I wouldn't be happy unless I checked every connection an inch of tubing and wire myself, so I would end up driving you crazy and creating even more stress. Well... The Frankfurt thing is a good opportunity, but only if you absolutely promise to not do anything rash while I'm gone. I will be concentrating on healing and not letting this happen again. Now that that is settled, I could really use some breakfast, and then we'll need to figure out how to get the provost's body out of the laboratory and into a proper coffin to send to his mother as he wished. And so, Petra gets dressed and the trio repairs to the school canteen to breakfast and discuss plans on safely spiriting a body out of the university without attracting attention. Later that night, when all the students and staff have left the medical wing... Ta-da! I thought this might help. <laughs> a body on a gurney is not exactly discreet, Abigail. Well, that's just it. We don't have to be discreet. There was an anatomy class this afternoon, and Dr. McNeish has three cadavers leaving the university this evening. 
So, we can piggyback on those extractions. Perhaps, but four bodies going out will call attention when the mortuary is only expecting three. I don't think we have to worry about the mortuary. Just get the provost's body down into the lower laboratory, and then when the mortuary arrives, we wheel about. No one in the halls will be counting the number of cadavers wheeling by. What do we do with him once we have him outside? I can have Adolfo bring the Phaeton from Mother's townhouse. If I send a boy, the carriage should be here in 20 minutes. Will that give us time? I'll be cutting it close, but we should manage. Can Adolfo be trusted? Adolfo used to help me sneak out to attend suffragette meetings without Mother's permission. That's why she banished him to the townhouse in the first place. He is a man of discretion. All right then, pet. You send for a boy, and Abigail and I will get the provost downstairs. And so, they enact their plan, and all goes smoothly. It seems Abigail was correct. The sight of cadavers being wheeled from the halls is common enough that no one even looked up as they removed the provost's mortal remains. They loaded the body into the carriage, and Dr. Sage rode with it to a mortuary to arrange for a casket and to ship Cunningham home to his mother as he had wished. Sage felt a strange sort of melancholy as she rode back to the university. James Cunningham had been nothing but a thorn in her side, yet he had provided her a bulwark against which to push. If it had not been for Cunningham, would her work have attracted the patronage of Le Chargé de Fer? Thoughts spun in her head until she returned to her laboratory to bid her friends goodbye as they launched into a time of separate pursuits. Good luck presenting your paper in Hamburg and Frankfurt, Professor. Yes, Abigail. And good luck to you leading up to your finals. Study well. Thank you for everything, Abigail. All the best. See you mid-December. Ta! Take care of my creatures! It is strange to think I won't have Abigail underfoot for a few weeks. I think I'll miss her. And what about me? Will you miss me whilst I'm in Germany? Every minute of every day. And when do you leave? The day after tomorrow. I have a fair bit of packing to do before then, though. Go. I will just be puttering about here in the laboratory, making sure all of the equipment is cleaned and repaired and in perfect working order before we transmigrate again. Oh, and Erasmus? Yes, Pat? I know how worried you are about me. But there's nothing to concern you, really. There is always something to worry about with you, Pet. You have a tendency to give too little consideration to your own health and well-being. This time will be different. I honestly will be simply looking to reset the equipment and see if it's possible to rescue my hair. I might even go and visit my mother whilst you were in Frankfurt. There's no reason to worry about me. <laughs> oh, yes, there is. You or Petronilla Sage. I have never known you to spend long without concocting some device or experiment. I promise, no new devices. Or experiment. I can't promise that, because I'll need to test the equipment. But I will promise not to try anything that we don't know the exact parameters of. And if I transmigrate, I promise to set the recall for mere minutes. <sighs> Pet, I... Shh. If nothing else, Erasmus, you can trust that I won't do anything to jeopardize the science. And I won't abuse your trust, either. Both of those things mean too much to me to chance. Well, all right, then. I'm glad we are clear. I really couldn't bear to lose you, Petra. 
All right. Now, don't you have packing to do? I think I could use a nap after the excitement of the past 24 hours. Yes, Pat, I shall leave you. You know to telegram the University of Hamburg if you need me. And with much chivying and promises to behave herself, Petra finally succeeds in putting the professor on the elevator. Will Dr. Sage keep to her promises and not do anything dangerous whilst the professor is away? We'll find out after this short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the talented melodical expressions of This Way to the Egress. I wonder why the sun goes up, goes round We're driving through the desert Don't ask us where we're going Well, you won't like it Your time's up, pencils down Tambourine dream sequence Flowers show your features Well, that's not a hey, fingers cross you frown I think you tripped away, dear Then you dropped the acid Hallucination
And now, back to our story. When we left our doctor, she was settling in for what she promised would be a few weeks of quiet retrofitting of the equipment and recovery from the burns she received during her final translateral migration in Mix Cunningham's body. She did not keep her promise. Within a couple of days of her friend's departure, the doctor went over every centimeter of tubing, wiring, and switches. She cleaned the entire transmigration apparatus and recalibrated the clockwork. She organized her notes and built data tables on the wall slate to examine the targeting projections and better relate the pitches to trajectory. She fed the animals. She began a rigorous exercise regimen, focusing on strength and flexibility. She used an old apothecary's cupboard she found in a closet to organize her Edison cylinders by date and time. By the end of a week, she was going stir-crazy. And that was when she got an idea. Laboratory of Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 7 November 1895. I will be attempting to transmigrate without changing temporal circumstances. To this point, all transmigrations have been temporal as well as locational displacements. Translateral migration proved that it was possible to move consciousnesses between two bodies that are close in physical proximity without invoking the changed temporal reality. Now, I shall attempt a lateral movement extended to a more distant location. I've set the Cladney pitch to target France, with harmonics to keep me firmly in this time. I've set the recall chime for 15 minutes, just enough time to identify place and confirm the date. If successful, then I shall spend the weeks whilst the professor is away, strengthening my control and trajectory plotting. If I am successful in this line of inquiry, I can imagine many possible uses for this technology, most specifically in government and military command. As the machinery warms up, the electricity begins to whirl in the dynamo, turning in the usual spirals, the golden energy weaving its usual spell. The equipment hums, functioning well, and there are no signs of the ominous green bolts of energy that wreaked such harm just one week ago. The energy continues to build until... Transmigration. She arrives on the beach in Nice in the body of a young girl, violently coughing up seawater as anxious holidaymakers group around. As she drowned... <laughs> she lives! Clap her on the back! No! Turn her to her stomach! Under the rock! Give away! I'm all right. Please, can someone tell me what day it is? It is the first day you've got. <sighs> what date? <sighs> you do not need to worry about this now. Try to sit up. I would appreciate, madam, if you would not tell me what to worry about and what not to. What is today's date? Perhaps the body the doctor has transmigrated into is prone to fits of temper, or perhaps it is her shrill tone and overly red cheeks, but the adults that clustered around the doctor do not appear willing to upset the child further. <laughs> Don't cry, mademoiselle. No need to become worked up. Today is the 7th of November. The same as it was when your papa or your mama or your nanny... Here you off, let me. Dear heart, who brought you to the seashore today? Do you know where they are? You got a scare and should be returned to the bosom of your family. That will not be necessary. I do not plan to stay. Whether she had intended the dramatic exit or not, the 15 minutes were up and Sage vacated the body, leaving behind a poor drowned Moppet 
and a host of bewildered would-be rescuers. Having achieved success, Sage set about duplicating the experiment. She ordered a large world map from the geography department and installed it along the wall of her office, plotting the latitude and longitude of each location she visited in the matching sine wave and pitch coordinates she traveled to Boston, New York, Barcelona, and Edinburgh, staying only long enough to check the date and then returning to her laboratory to check the data and make notes on the patterns coming into focus on her map. The more she bounces, the larger the web of red line data grows to cover the more mundane markings of mountains, rivers, and plains on the map. She passes a happy few weeks, but it is not long before she decides she wants to do something more worthwhile with her time than simply gather coordinates. Laboratory of Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 20 November 1895. My studies in translateral movement have shown that it is possible to specify trajectory through a slight modulation in pitch. Before Bach created his well-tempered clavier, pitches worked at relational intervals, and I speculate that removing tempered tuning from my apparatus will allow me to better target for the uneven distances and imprecise placement of sites within geographical locations. If my calculations are correct, this translateral migration should deposit me in the Rue de Seine near the offices of Le Chargé de l'Affaire. And so the doctor ventures outwards, hoping to specifically target a certain notorious address and drop in unexpected on Calypso to see for herself the operation of her mysterious funding entity. Sage awakens in an alcove off the Rue de Seine. She is in the body of a finely dressed young dandy, dead of massive head trauma. The body's pockets have been turned out and his fine clothes are horribly soiled and blood-stained. Oh, my head. Erasmus. In the confusion of her awakening, it takes the doctor a moment to realize that her usual traveling companion is not with her. Oh, that's right. I'm on my own. Oh. Well, as soon as I can get my double vision to clear... I'll look about and see if my trajectory was on point. In fact, it is on point, and Sage is mere steps away from the entrance to the building she seeks. A fact she becomes aware of as she staggers into the street. Her bloody and disreputable condition elicits narrow stares and huffed commentary as the fastidious denizens of Paris push past the doctor. Curse this double vision. I cannot read the numbers. Excuse me. Excuse me, can you point me to number 57, Rue de Seine? Oof, you have been imbibing too much in Pasteur's philosophy. It is right in front of you. Thank you. The doctor's speech is slurred, and even as she hears herself, she realizes the import of the problem. This body is not drunk, it is injured, and the brain must be swelling. The double vision and the slurred speech are the only warnings she needs. She will require medical intervention, and soon, or chance suffering a stroke or aneurysm. Calypso! Calypso! I need your help! Calypso! Hello? Who is it? Who called my name? Calypso! Help! Dr. Sage? Whatever are you doing here? How are you here in a host body? It is I, Petra, 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 no, no. 
If the doctor could have answered, she might have said she was continuing the expansion of her research. She might have mentioned translateral movement. But the pressure in her head has built to an astounding level, and the only avenue open to our doctor is collapse. To her credit, Calypso, though not as calm and self-contained as when last we met her, reacts with alacrity. She summons two men from the building, and they arrive with a stretcher, load the inert form containing our doctor onto it, and ferry her in through the door. Get me iodine, ether, boiling water, clean towels. Put her on the parlor table, thank you. Quickly, you, cut away that jacket and shirt. I need to search for wounds. Watching this woman work, I am beginning to get a strange feeling. Calypso has always given off an otherworldly vibe, but she is different somehow now. More grounded, her movements less ethereal and more deterministic. I don't know how to describe it, but she does not seem the same as the Calypso we have met at King's College. Oh, how I wish the doctor were awake. Keen observation is not possible when it feels like half of my awareness is buried in cotton. But I am afraid I am to be stuck in this half-aware state for the near future, as Calypso, having examined the head wound, seems to be preparing for major surgery. It will be a wonder if the doctor does not simply vacate this form as non-viable. Bring me the surgical drill, quickly. I need to place a burr hole in her skull and relieve some of the pressure. Perhaps we should leave the doctor and her surgeon before there is any head splitting and pause for a word from our sponsor. Hello listeners, Eddie Louise here, head writer of the Tales of Sage and Savant. I started writing this story because I wanted to imagine a world where women could be mad scientists, where the sex you were assigned at birth didn't limit the range of your imagination or the scope of your opportunities. That is the world that our sponsor, Chick Tech, envisions. They are working for a safe, inclusive, and innovative technology future that includes equal pay, participation, and treatment of women. They are dedicated to retaining women in the technology workforce and increasing the number of women and girls pursuing technology-based careers. Chick Tech facilitates hands-on technology-centric events and programs to empower, support, and increase the confidence of women and girls. Through their events, they build community, empower participants to see themselves as leaders, and provide networking and mentoring opportunities in the rapidly growing high-tech industry. Chick Tech empowers community members to change the face of technology in their city. With chapters across the country, they've built a multi-generational movement where people everywhere are improving their lives, the lives of girls in their area, and the technology industry itself. To learn more about this amazing organization, check out their website at www.chicktech.com. Org. That's www.chicktech.org. Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. Support Chick Tech, the organization that believes in women scientists. And now, back to our show. When we left our doctor, she was about to undergo an impromptu brain surgery in the office of Le Chargé de Faire in Paris. Now, we shall return to see... I'm sorry, Justin. The file has been corrupted. 
I am unable to load the data. Can we simply fast forward past that point in the record? Pick up a few hours later? I wasn't particularly keen on feeling my way through brain surgery anyway. Searching for next available record. The next contiguous data is from three weeks later. Series gamma file number 05.10.12.0767. December 10th? But what happened in those intervening three weeks? The record is incomplete. Well, damn! Load file number 05.10.12.0767 and let's see what we have. Loading. Hello, pet. Did you miss me? Terribly. Welcome home, dear friend. Petra! Your hair! The doctor is indeed an interesting sight as she has shaved both sides of her head to stubble in order to better compensate for the burned patch at her temple. The resulting hairstyle is what I believe was called a mohawk in the 1990s and was considered a rather punk style. It is no wonder that Erasmus is taken aback. Oh, hair grows back, and I didn't shave it all off, although I must admit I was tempted. But how was Germany? A triumph! The Anthropological Society has requested a book based on my <gasps> findings. Oh, Erasmus, that is wonderful! And it gave me an excuse for extending my leave from teaching in order to write the book. The Chancellor was most pleased and granted my request even before I returned. So that means you'll have less time for transmigrating? Uh, not at all. I can work on my theories as we travel and simply <laughs> transcribe my thoughts once we arrive home. Oh, I do not deserve such a good friend. I'm glad you're becoming aware of my worth. Good morning, Doctor, Professor. Hello, morning, Abigail. Abigail. Petra, your hair. It's fine. It will grow back. You look like a pirate or a viking. You say that like it's a bad thing. How did you do on your final? Pretty well, I think. I won't get my results until January. So are you two ready to travel? Ready when you are. Where are we going? I thought we might go visit the court of Charlemagne. History says he had a rather fantastic menagerie. You can target so closely then. While the two of you were away, I spent a lot of time with the data calculating our previous trajectories and cross-referencing the longitude and latitude. I also recalibrated the Cladney plates, taking them out of box-tempered scale. I believe that introducing quarter tones to the apparatus will allow for very specific location setting. Today, we test that theory. The trio adjourns to the dressing room and cheerfully suits up in preparation for a holiday excursion. It is a testament to how comfortable they have become with the process of transmigration that the mood is one of cheerful celebration, as for any family holiday trip. What Sage did not tell her companions is how she spent the intervening weeks solidifying her control over trajectory, and that she is confident that she can navigate to specific coordinates with the system automatically defaulting into the closest available bodies to the programmed destination. Sage has the recall set for 18 days, though unbeknownst to the others, she has rigged a separate system for herself. I don't understand why, but there is a small tuning fork anchored into the side of Sage's plinth rigged to a 12-hour clockwork timer. I do not know when she installed that feature, but the same does not appear on either of the other plinths. Above each of their heads, however, 
Large glass jugs full of intravenous fluids are suspended in preparation. Another new feature, next to each reclining table, is the electromuscle stimulation system, which will isometrically flex their major muscle groups. They are completely prepared for a long stay away, which is a good thing, as they are off. The professor and Abigail awaken in a small, windowless room. They are laid out on the floor, wrapped in winding sheets. But, professor? But, uh, doctor? I can't move! Help! Abigail? Oh, it is okay. Take a breath. We seem to be in winding sheets. Petra? Are you here? Sage is, in fact, not here. The closest body for her was on the other side of the enclosure. They are in Aachen, the home city for the Emperor Charlemagne, exactly where Sage had predicted they would land. In fact, the Professor and Abigail are in bodies of keepers in the Royal Menagerie. The two were the unfortunate victims of inadvertent asphyxiation when an elephant in the Emperor's collection pinned them against the wall at feeding time and slowly pressed the life out of them whilst enjoying a pan of mash. I think I can get the cloth loose. <clears throat> Hold on a moment. <sighs> the professor struggles until he has worked a hand free and then an arm, and finally is able to grab the end of the shroud and unwrap himself. As soon as his upper body is free, he leans over to help Abigail. Oh my, Abigail. <laughs> it seems you are to be initiated in our gender swap club this trip. I'm sorry? It seems you're a bit hirsute, my dear. I'm a man. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness? Oh, I could sense a rather lumpy mass by my pelvis, and I was concerned that I had exposed intestines or some other egregious hernia, something that would make the body untenable. But, well, being masculine, what's... Well, an easy enough malady to bear. I'm not sure I would agree that masculinity is a malady, but I am glad you're not distressed. Where do you think Petra is? There are no other bodies in this room. Petra has landed in a body in a small cottage on the other side of the menagerie wall. Her host body is a young girl who also died of asphyxiation. In this case, by an overly severe case of asthma. As our adventurers pull themselves free of their various shrouds, I should like to take a moment to tell you about the court of Charlemagne. This great emperor almost turned the tide of the Dark Ages aside and started the Renaissance 900 years before history records it. The fall of the Roman Empire led to crumbling roads, interrupted trade, loss of literacy, and an influx of barbarians. The Frankish King Karl would, through efficient management, a curious mind, and an adventurous spirit, single-handedly create a bright spot of culture and learning, growth and success in the deepest Dark Ages. His winter court in Aachen was the sun at the center of this king who would be known as Charles the Great, Charlemagne. A few hours after they awakened, our trio found each other by the casual expedient of singing Gilbert and Sullivan songs at top volume as they wandered the streets. I am the very modern of a modern major general. I've friends who plowed the sea. Truce to navigation. Take another station. Let's 
fiery piracy with a little burglary. The method is irritating in the extreme, but effective. Petra, there you are. We were worried. Oh, hello, Erasmus. Is this... Yes, Doctor, it is me. I am discovering new dimensions, shall we say, to existence. I have been there, my dear. Have you needed to empty your bladder yet? Doctor! Well, the mechanics are a bit different, but the function is the same. You'll figure it out. So both of your host bodies are older than mine. Have you discovered your place here? That is the exciting part. We are keepers in the menagerie. There are elephants and tigers and lions. Yes, this transmigration will prove the perfect holiday for our Mexentwistle, even if she must suffer the indignity of whiskers to enjoy it. Oh, come on. I want to see the rest of the menagerie. And so they spend a happy couple of hours touring the exotic animal collection of one of history's most famous rulers. As they move from cage to cage, Abigail becomes more and more distressed at the general cleanliness and health of the animals. Elephants need more space than this. Well, they must take them out of the cages to get exercise. From the look of their footpads, they don't. These poor creatures spend all day standing in their own excrement. They must have terrible fungus. I'm not really sure what we can do about it. Well, there must be something. That something would have to wait, as rumbling stomachs led them to find supper and deal with their own physical needs. The needs of the animals would have to wait until morning. Having failed to secure any sort of lantern, the encroaching darkness meant they were forced to find a place to bed down for the evening. A handy pile of hay would serve quite well, all except for the asthma of the doctor's body. The doctor could not have acted a better cover-up for her exit when the recall sounded than the severe asthma attack that coincidentally occurred at the 12-hour mark. The professor and Abigail were left alone in the cozy stack of hay, and the doctor awakened in her lab exactly as she had planned, interrupting her holiday in order to carry out her scheme with Calypso. I am not exactly sure what that scheme is, but we will find out in the next episode of The Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a twin star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as your narrator. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. The theme song for Season 3 was interpreted and recorded by Valentine Wolf. Special music in this episode was provided by This Way to the Egress. We would like to extend our gratitude to this month's sponsor, ChickTech.org. Episode 305 Part A, Bright Spots in Dark Times, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical and scientific information we included in this episode? Like us on Facebook, or check out our website sageandsavant.com to find the facts behind the fiction. And finally, as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science. Science.